0: And welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, AKA the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information, and guest interviews To help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have to confess I am reposting one of my old episodes, which is something I don't do very often. But I thought I would really like to just have a little pause over Easter. So I am uploading my episode all about understanding and interrupting your binge eating. This has been one of my most popular episodes ever, and I've had lots of really great feedback from it. So I hope it's going to be something that can really help and inspire you and it is relevant for anyone suffering with binge eating whatever their diagnosis. Okay so I hope you all had a lovely Easter and wishing you lots of recovery hope and inspiration as we move into spring. I hope you enjoy the episode. Okay so today I'm going to talk about five reasons why you might binge eat and what to do about it. Now, binge eating is definitely one of my favorite topics, as it's something I've personally experienced and have worked to support many, many clients to overcome it. And I want to just say as well that binge eating is more than just a diagnostic behavior that is relevant to someone with binge eating disorder. It can occur across all the eating disorders or if you have disordered eating. So it could you might be listening and have anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorder, or OSFED it could be applicable to any of those and possibly even ARFID as well I have to say I'm less experienced at working with binge eating and ARFID but I don't want to say that it doesn't exist and if you are listening and you are someone who's suffering from ARFID and in binge eating do send me an email because I would be really interested to hear more about that if you wanted to share So binge eating, it's a debilitating and horrible behavior that physically and mentally can be so destructive for a human being. So what do we mean by binge eating initially? So binge eating involves eating a large amount of food. And this means more than someone would normally eat in a typical setting. Okay. And usually when someone has a binge, there's a loss of control over the eating episode. It's often in secret and it involves eating very quickly And often it involves eating foods that people perhaps would not normally eat when they're on a diet. Now, this isn't always true. People can binge eat on any food, but usually it tends to be things like high sugar foods, those foods that we would normally tend to avoid. And then when we are in the midst of a binge, we are kind of losing control and kind of thinking, I've blown it, I'm going to eat everything and kind of eating all those foods that we probably wouldn't eat in our normal kind of day to day. And I'll come on to that a bit later on, that's kind of really part of the problem and what is driving the binge eating, but it often doesn't feel like that at the time. Now there's also a distinction between an objective binge and a subjective binge. So an objective binge means objectively eating a very large amount of food in a small amount of time. A subjective binge eating episode might be where you don't necessarily eat a vast amount of food but you still experience that loss of control that sort of secrecy perhaps eating very very quickly so it still has that real bingey feel so i guess whether you're someone who objectively binges or subjectively binges your binge eating is still valid and i want to acknowledge both of those now binges can often fleetingly bring euphoria and pleasure but really really quickly like that the euphoria and pleasure is often very short-lived because very quickly guilt shame self-loathing self-disgust really descend and binge is therefore incredibly damaging physically and mentally so not something that's nice to live with and as I've sort of said as well binges are often in secret It's often a secretive behavior so when people are struggling with binge eating they're often really struggling all on their own with this it's really really hard So clients often ask me, you know, how can I avoid binging when the urge to reach for food feels so incredibly strong? And I think I know myself, when I would get the urge to binge, it can feel like such a driving compulsive force that can't be ignored, and it can't be rationalized away. And it's almost like once you've made that decision to binge, it's almost like you've jumped off the cliff and you can't get back up again. And it can just feel so compelling. It's like an itch that needs to be scratched, a desire or want that can only be satisfied fully through food alone, and it's all you can think about. So if you're wanting to binge, like it can feel like you're on another planet to everyone else around you. So conversations with others blur gently into the background, work becomes a mindless irritation, and your surroundings become irrelevant because nothing, nothing at all in that moment feels as important as the pursuit of food. Now, I think as well that sometimes when you reach this point, you've already mentally made that decision to binge and it's infinitely harder to make the U-turn and to withdraw. You know, it's a bit like I was saying before, you've jumped off the cliff, really hard to get back up again. And it's not the time really when rational thought or reasoned logic generally win the day. You can be very ruled by your emotions and can feel quite emotionally dysregulated, really, and quite uncaring about the consequences longer term. It's very much like an impulse and wanting to respond to that in the moment. So as you can probably understand from what I'm saying here, actually, once you've jumped off the cliff and you've almost made that decision to binge, it is really, really hard to retreat and stop it. And I mean, it can still be stopped To that point. You can surf the urge, you can maybe phone a friend, do something to distract yourself, you know, it can be avoided. However, I think it's much more helpful to retrace your steps and recognize the triggers that might have contributed to this need to binge. Because I think when you do this as well, it may not prevent that particular binge from happening, but it's gonna give you so much more evidence and understanding to be able to avoid binges again in the future. And I think as well, what's really important about this is that binges don't tend to come out of the blue. They might appear to do so and you might feel really confused and bewildered by why you have this strong urge to binge. However, if you look a little below the surface and start to consider possible triggers and situations that may have cumulatively led to this point, you can begin to gain some clarity. So what are some of the five common triggers for binging? So number one, You will have heard this, I'm sure, on other podcasts, on Instagram, wherever you're reading about binge eating, but it's the good old restriction. If you're depriving yourself with your eating, you are going to be much more likely to binge. So you might be following a set of rules, rather listening to what your body wants to eat. For example, I shouldn't eat at this time, no carbohydrates allowed, only X number of calories per day. Now deprivation only works for so long before your body comes back fighting. Because we, as human beings, we have evolved to sort of fight against starvation and when food is available, to absolutely make the most of it. So when you are restricting, it's going to mean that you are incredibly vulnerable to binge eating, because it's like your survival human strategy kicking in to keep you alive. So your poor body, it doesn't want to be hungry or feeling restricted or restrained. And just as our ancestors would have feasted after the famine, your instinct after depriving yourself will be to eat and eat and compensate for the previous lack. Now, you might be listening to this and thinking, I'm not depriving myself. Actually, I allow myself to eat all the foods. I'm even eating some cake and chocolate every day. I don't have any forbidden foods. I think the key thing here as well, and you might have heard of this before, is about mental restriction can also be a problem because you might be eating those foods, but you might be judging yourself a lot for eating those foods. So, for example, you might be eating the cake, but you might be thinking this is a treat food, or I feel guilty, or it's naughty, or I'm rebelling, or it's secret eating. So the key here is to not be mentally restricting you need to really genuinely permit those foods in and this takes time it's not an overnight process because if you've been dieting for a long time if you've been seeing foods as good and bad you can't just switch that off in your head overnight but if you recognize that you're not physically restricting but you are mentally restricting instead that might be what's keeping your binge eating going So instead as well what you need to do is allow every single food back into your eating choices because then the paradox is that you'll probably eat a lot less of these foods longer term so let's talk a bit more about dietary restraint now binge eating rarely springs from nowhere once you've been doing it for a while it certainly has a habitual element to it and triggers become much more emotional but at least initially it's normally preceded by some kind of restrictive eating or dietary restraint. And you might think, well, I'm not dieting, so that's not me. However, the definition of dietary restraint is broader than just dieting. So what could dietary restraint be? So firstly, it can be delaying eating. So thinking, I'm not hungry now, I'll just wait a little longer. Now, this is very common with people with eating disorders, that they kind of put off eating because they're often really worried that once they start, they won't be able to stop they also want to limit their calories so they think by pushing eating episodes back to later in the day that's an effective way to do it but often what happens is actually you know delay eating delay eating delay eating get really really hungry and then are much more vulnerable to binge eating so to illustrate this point let's talk about my fictional client jane jane would miss breakfast to delay eating as long as possible and she would then push back lunch in an attempt to reduce the amount of food eaten over the day and she might not be eating lunch till two or three then pushing back dinner to 9pm if she could make it through. So there was this strong fear of once I start eating, I won't be able to stop. But then that almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy because she would become so overhungry. She'd be like hugely vulnerable to binge eating, particularly by the evening. Now, another form of dietary restraint is eliminating food groups. In recent years, carbohydrates have become much more the enemy, whereas in the past it was probably more fat. Now, it's so common that someone who binge eats is following a diet that has banned certain food groups. It's common to be reducing carbs and trying to fill up predominantly on protein and vegetables. Now, this isn't usually sustainable and leaves out the yum-yum factor from eating as well, which is so essential. So again, another fictional client, Emma, she started out really trying to sort of eat very, very healthily, but this became increasingly compulsive and obsessive and unhealthy, can't say the words, where her diet was almost reduced to protein shakes and vegetables and fruit and not a lot else. So not eating enough healthy fats or carbohydrates, having huge, huge cravings for sugar, ending up having massive, massive binges. And the last form of dietary restraint, or perhaps the most obvious, is more under eating, dieting, restricting, counting calories. So not eating enough what your body needs. So the tricky thing is, is if you binge eat regularly, you will likely see dietary restraint as the solution. You know, if only I could gain control over my eating and eat really clean or healthily or count my calories or macros, it would all be okay. So once you have a binge, you often feel that you have to restrict again to try and repair the damage done through overeating. You try to gain control by introducing certain rules, calorie limits, food types to be eaten or precise quantities of what to eat, times of eating. But again this isn't sustainable so you easily can fall back into this kind of diet binge cycle which is really really hard then to get off. And we know from the Minnesota Salvation Study that when the human body is deprived of food, binging is often one of the most inevitable outcomes. This is along with a constant preoccupation with food, tiredness, feeling cold, having poor concentration, because when you deprive your body of the energy it needs to survive and maintain proper function, it will scream out for this deficit to be replenished. You will crave, you will dream and obsess about food all day long. is a completely natural thing to happen and it's our survival instinct kicking in. Now this of course does have an evolutionary survival advantage for us. Our ancestors would have been regularly faced with fluctuating availabilities of food we are programmed to restore the deficit of energy experienced in the famine when the food is then available in the feast your body will fight back it's just part of nature so if you genuinely want to stop binge eating you need to accept that you need to give up on dietary restraint And I know this sounds simple, but it can be incredibly hard. You know, you might feel like your whole life revolves around dieting, your whole identity revolves around dieting, kind of being this kind of maybe fit, healthy person from the outside when inwardly you are struggling with binge eating. So if you're not restricting your eating, what do you do instead? So one of the most helpful things is to adopt a regular eating pattern to help stabilize your blood sugar dieting, delaying eating, cutting out food groups. It usually always leads to low blood sugar and then ferocious cravings for food that are almost impossible not to act on. So regular eating, and I always call this, anyone that listens to this podcast will know, is almost like the boring, unsexy work of eating disorder recovery. And it involves eating three meals and three snacks per day and spreading these out at regular intervals. And you want to be including all the food groups. So protein, fats and carbohydrates, as well as, you know, like your fruits and vegetables, so that your body has a chance to be satiated and that your blood sugar is stabilised. Now, This does have such an impact. I'm not saying that regular eating alone is going to cure your binge eating problem, but it's such an important step to be taking because if you're not eating regularly, you are not going to be able to deal with all the other triggers that cause binge eating because you're in such a physiologically vulnerable place. Now, again, there's no miracle combination of foods that are going to stop you binging. But we know that eating enough protein, eating carbohydrates that are more slow release, not eliminating fats from your diet, all these things will help. So it's really more about just going for a healthy, balanced diet. It's not about perfect eating or having to have like specific amounts of things there's not a magic formula. Now I remember when I first began to eat regularly again after months of dieting it was actually quite a relief to be able to respond to hunger and to actually feel satisfied after eating and to feel more of a sense of fullness rather than always running on empty. Now, I know for many people as well, when you start eating more kind of normally, and I'm saying that in inverted commas, what is normal eating, it can be quite challenging. You might get digestive issues, you might not be feeling that great, you might be really struggling with your hunger and fullness cues. That is all normal, but you've kind of got to go through that slightly icky stage to come out the other side. It's so important. But by stabilising blood sugar and eating regularly, you can start to deal with the physiological side of the binge eating problem. And you might get the urge to binge emotionally but when your body's physiology is stable this then gives you a firm foundation to make other changes from apart from the regular eating bit you also need to do something that will initially be extremely challenging as part of the dietary plan you need to begin to reintroduce your old forbidden foods back in one food at a time because if you completely ban certain foods and see them as naughty or forbidden, you might want to eat them more and more. Short term, you're going to be absolutely terrified of doing this. You're gonna want to gorge on certain foods. It's a natural backlash against deprivation, but this is temporary and you will get through it. And you can't avoid this sort of icky patch of recovery. The only way out is through. But I say to you as well, concentrate on your regular eating, stabilizing your blood sugar, first before you embark on reintroducing forbidden foods because trying to do everything at once sometimes can be too much and if you've got regular eating in place and stable blood physiology you're going to be able to handle introducing the forbidden foods a little bit easier it's going to be a little bit easier not going to be easy but a bit easier i promise you though you will come out the other side of this i remember there was a time in my life where I would have described myself as a sugar addict. I would have said if I eat one biscuit, I'm going to eat the whole packet. I thought I had no control around food. I couldn't have any foods in the house that were going to potentially trigger a binge. That is not the case at all anymore. I'm in a completely different place, but I have only come to that place through doing the regular eating, doing the blood sugar stabilisation and reintroducing forbidden foods, along with some of the other things I'm going to talk about shortly. So I promise you, you will come through it. And long term, this desire to eat everything in sight will reduce and eventually it will go. And I speak from experience, as I've just said. And genuinely, if you do allow yourself as many chocolate muffins or much pizza as you want to eat or anything else that you have been forbidding, the more you genuinely permit these foods in, you start to fully really have a choice and they don't feel so compelling or special or seductive anymore. When you first reintroduce foods back in, you will need to plan around this. Think about how you will cope. You might need to have a friend with you for support. You might need to distract yourself afterwards and you might need to manage your portions with this initially. You know, going out and buying huge quantities of the food initially may be too much. Also, it's really helpful to try and sit down, enjoy the food, not to eat at the cupboard door. So you really kind of can practice a bit of mindful eating, not perfect mindful eating, but just being in tune with your eating when you're doing it. Longer term, if you practice these things, you can begin to move more towards intuitive eating principles. And this involves being much more flexible with food and genuinely making choices that honor your hunger and your taste buds. But that does take time, okay? And I think the first steps are definitely regular eating, stabilising blood sugar, gradually one food at a time, reintroducing your forbidden foods. If you do this, you are well along the road, to beginning to work more towards something like intuitive eating principles. But it does take time. You kind of can't jump from eating disorder or disordered eating into intuitive eating principles overnight. And I think often when people try to do that, they kind of come a bit unstuck because it's just too much too soon. For support, for yourself or for a loved one who's struggling with an eating disorder, I recommend you take a look at Ultum Health. Ultum Health was founded by Dr Courtney Raspin in 2005 and since then is grown into a clinic of more than 20 registered psychologists, psychiatrists and dietitians. The team works with private clients experiencing anxiety, depression, the effects of trauma and other mental health conditions, but they specialise in eating disorders and body image issues. For a successful recovery, it's so important to find a therapist you can trust. And at Ultum Health, you can choose from a range of highly experienced, compassionate and caring therapists. It provides tailored treatment plans to suit your unique needs and personable, convenient and flexible treatment options meet your therapist face to face at their cozy and welcoming clinic in central London or online via Zoom visit altumhealth.co.uk so is altum spelled a l t u m health.co.uk to find out more and check out the fantastic resources available including hundreds of helpful articles packed with advice and look out for the free improve your body image worksheet <laughs> So the second thing that may be triggering your binge eating is that you are slogging away at life too much. Now maybe you have very high expectations of yourself and not that there's anything wrong with this but if it's coupled with an unhealthy perfectionism maybe it means that you don't allow yourself to stop, that you feel really guilty if you ever take a break, that you are super critical of yourself and you often feel as though you are failing and you are never good enough. Now as human beings for good mental well-being, we need to have breaks, relaxation, pleasure and fun dispersed between the jobs and obligations. When you don't allow yourself these necessities into your life, you're going to feel tired, possibly bored and a bit jaded with your work. Everything can become a great big should. It might mean you're short of energy, feeling a bit down and then very tempted to perk yourself up with food. And food is a very effective way of giving you that short-term energy boost or something to kind of raise endorphins, give you a blood sugar rush, give you some stimulation. Maybe when you're what you're really needing is some self-care, but food can be like an effective shortcut to that. So have a think and make sure you are injecting enough pleasure and relaxation into your life. You know, you can still be a hard worker, but maybe you need more balance. Binging is often the shortcut to self soothing when we don't allow ourselves the proper downtime and rest to self soothe and self care adequately. Now, you might not really know how to self soothe, maybe it's something you've never learned to do. So, as a starting point for this, it's helpful to think about utilizing the five senses sight, sound, touch, smell, and taste and to think about what are the things that are genuinely self soothing to you. So, it might be for example the sight of being out in nature and seeing lots of trees and green it might be the sound of birdsong or waves crashing it might be the touch of a really soft blanket or your pet it might be a lovely smell that depicts kind of a scenario that's very relaxing for you takes you back to a certain memory something that kind of puts you into a relaxed state As well, it might be the taste of something. And of course, food can be one of the ways we self-soothe. You know, we're not saying you can't use food as a self-soother, but you want to have a whole kind of toolbox of different ways to self-soothe so you're not always relying on food. Okay, so that is my second point. Really, if you're thinking about if you recognise that you're binging a lot, maybe you are slogging away at life too much and you need to slow down, you need to self-care, self-soothe and rest more. Number three, you are struggling to manage how you're thinking and feeling. Now maybe as well you feel that you're very sensitive and that things affect you deeply and I think this can be true for many people with eating disorders and it can mean that joyful news as well can feel overwhelming but as well dealing with lifestyle knocks, setbacks and problems and you can feel perhaps a bit overwhelmed by all of this and that your thoughts are racing at 100 miles an hour. And I think when we get overwhelmed with our thoughts and feelings, sometimes life can feel too much and we want escape and relief from this turmoil. So in these instances, food might be the thing that you think about, you might have become in the habit of dissociating from your thoughts and feelings and using food as a coping strategy. And food is a temporary distraction, a way of dissociating and escaping your feelings, and it does allow relief and comfort. But of course, if we rely on this all the time, it can be quite self-sabotagey and quite self-punishing. And I think if we rely on foods, we're blocking our feelings, we're numbing or dissociating from them, they don't really go away. They're still there under the carpet. They're like the elephant in the room that we're kind of ignoring. And, you know, the issues are still there. So food gives you temporary relief, but it doesn't actually solve the problem. So one of the things that really helps to be able to tune in more to the link between binging and your emotions and thoughts is to become more self-aware because often as human beings we're not very self-aware we don't know what we're thinking half the time and we can just be lost in the sea of our thoughts and emotions. Now I would say before you even work on becoming more aware of your thoughts and emotions and the connection with binging work on stabilizing your eating and your physiology first because of if you try to become more self-aware. And I'm not saying this isn't possible at all, but it's definitely a lot harder. But if you are trying to become more self-aware of your thoughts and feelings, but you're in a starved state or a dieting state, it can be much more tricky to be able to do that reflection work because it's harder to kind of concentrate and focus and you're very distracted by thoughts of food. So one tool that can be very helpful to become more aware of your thoughts and feelings is the food and feelings diary. Now, this is not the same as my fitness pal or tracking. You're not counting calories or macros or judging food for its health benefits and if you've eaten enough or not enough. Instead, it's a fantastic tool to help you gain valuable understanding and insight into your eating behaviour. So, what you do is record the food eaten, the time of day where you are, your hunger levels, your feelings, thoughts, and significant events. So, you may have kept diaries before that were very food focused. So this is different. It's helping you to understand your relationship with food so you can begin to have better self-awareness. And once you gain awareness, you're in a stronger position to consider change. And you can also learn your emotional triggers. Now, if calling it even a food and feelings diary is quite triggering for you and you don't find that helpful, you might even want to call it a well-being diary because it's really much more than about the food it's starting to connect the dots of linking your mood, your thoughts, you know, how you're feeling, how you're doing, what's going on in life, in your relationships, in your work, and your study, in anything else that's going on in your life. You're just trying to get that greater awareness of how it all connects together. And of course, food links in with that, but it's only part of the bigger picture. So using the food and feelings diary, you might start to notice, like, do you eat when you're bored? Do you eat when you're happy? Do you eat when you're sad? Do you eat when you're anxious? Do you eat when you're scared? Do you eat when you're angry? And you might have no clue or self-awareness of this until you start record-keeping. But once you begin to have this awareness, you can begin to consider how you might deal with your feelings differently. And this can be really, really hard to begin with because of if you have been using food habitually to cope with feelings you are probably really ingrained in a habit of doing this. So when you start to think about how I cope with my feelings in a different way, it can feel really unnatural, it can feel really difficult, and nothing's going to feel as good as food initially. But one thing that's quite helpful to recognise is when you're turning to food but it's purely for an emotional need, you might want to think about what else you might need in these moments. Do you really need food? You know, sometimes you might think, actually, I do but how do you deal with feelings apart from using food? Can you name your feelings? Can you respond helpfully to them? And can you reach out for help or get support? You know, I think again, it's very common for people with eating disorders to be struggling a lot on their own, having a lot of shame and guilt for who they are, how they're thinking and feeling and really sort of struggling in a very lonely place. And this is just so isolating and not helpful at all. So If the whole emotional area just feels really overbearing and overwhelming, you know, you might want to think about having some counselling therapy to help you with that because it might just feel too much of a difficult box of thoughts and feelings to open, you know, particularly if you've got things like early trauma or things that you haven't really ever talked about and you're perhaps a bit apprehensive about opening that box without feeling safe and grounded and in you know, in a sort of psychologically safe space to be able to do that. And that's when therapy or counselling can be really, really helpful. But do not underestimate the power though of the food and feelings diary and you being your own therapist, you can learn such a lot from that. And I think something that I just really want to encourage on this podcast and generally for people is that, you know, therapy is wonderful and helpful and can really help you take some massive steps forward. But again, you becoming self-aware and you being the expert on you and you becoming empowered and you stepping into a place and recognizing the things that are personally helpful for you in recovery all those things so so helpful so it was another thing to talk a bit about under this point is thoughts talked a bit about the feelings so with sixty thousand plus thoughts a day running through your mind and many of these being repetitive you will understand the power of your thinking And our thoughts, mood and behaviour are all often interlinked. And you might be having a lot of thoughts which don't help you make the changes you are hoping for. So for example, you might have a thought like, I've blown it when you eat the cookie. You'll feel anxious and you might eat even more cookies because of that anxiety and because of the thought that I've blown it. You might have the thought... I'm too fat. You might have really, you know, a lot of sort of shameful thoughts for disgusting with yourself and then you might find yourself restricting and then binging again. You might have a thought like people are looking at me and you might falsely mind read or predict that people are making judgments about you and this can feel you, leave you again feeling very ashamed and then withdrawing from others. So becoming aware of your thoughts can be an illuminating process Food and Feelings Diary, again, can be a brilliant way to shine a light on unhelpful thought patterns. And through this awareness, you can begin to notice how you talk to yourself. And it's so, so common that people with disordered eating or eating disorders can be incredibly self-punishing and self-critical, which then in fact keeps the binge eating going. Because if you have got this inner critic bullying you in your head then of course you're going to want to escape the thoughts and feelings through binging. It's really understandable that you're going to want to get off the treadmill and have some relief from that. So you may be very unkind, punishing and critical of yourself. You may feel that you never meet your standards. But being judgmental and unkind doesn't really help you. You know, I think we often think we're going to motivate ourselves into action by being really horrible to ourselves, but it doesn't work. It leaves us feeling demotivated, helpless, demoralized, and quite self sabotage So instead, begin to think about how you can be kinder to yourself in your thoughts, actions, and behaviors. And we all respond to kindness and encouragement much more positively than self-berating and judging ourselves, which leaves us feeling helpless and like giving up. So think about how would you treat a friend in this situation? You would probably be so much kinder to a friend than you would be to yourself. You deserve that kindness too. So a fourth trigger for binge eating can be giving vast amounts of negative attention to your poor body. So this might be things like obsessively weighing yourself, body checking, looking in the mirror, or even labeling yourself unkindly, along with a good dose of comparisons with your friends or celebs or people on Instagram. So this can be an absolute recipe for feeling dissatisfied and anxious, and you're then likely to express your unease through food. You know, if you use food as a coping strategy to deal with difficult feelings, if you're feeling negative about your body, you are very likely to turn to food as an outlet and escape from these difficult feelings. And it puts you back in this awful cycle. So it's tricky because I think as well, if you are restively focused on your body, you will be lured back into dieting. And this might be through the dietary restraint that we talked about earlier. It might be through sort of physical restriction. It might be through mental restriction. But whatever way, if you kind of are going down that restrictive path, you again then are really vulnerable to binge eating. So it's just like an awful cycle to be caught in. So with this, really think about how you treat your body through your words, thoughts and actions. And this will help you to be a bit more encouraging without turning to food. And aim more for body neutrality rather than body positivity. So body neutrality involves accepting your body more for what it can do. In a way, thoughts about your body being more in the background of life rather than a central thing that you're constantly focusing on. So definitely aim for body neutrality. And reflect as well on the attention you're paying to your body throughout the day. You know, if you're doing things like weighing, looking at photos, looking in the mirror, and just spending a lot of time judging your worth in relation to your body, then it's very difficult to win at this, and it's likely to fuel negative body image, and then fuel restriction, and then fuel binging, and you're back in that awful, awful cycle. And then my fifth point, in terms of how you could be triggering binge eating is when you're just generally feeling negative, low and depressed. And I think food is a very common turn to, to dissociate, numb, distract, as I sort of talked about earlier in the podcast. And I think when we feel in a quite a low state, we can just think, what's the point? Why not just make myself feel even worse, become very self-sabotagey? You might think, who cares? You know, I'm not even worth it. Yeah, it can be really easy to sort of fall into that horrible sabotaging place. Now, if this is a recurring problem for you, you know, you might need some support through therapy. And I'm picking this further and making sense of it because I think, you know, I know well, low mood doesn't come from nowhere. There are probably some things that maybe could be helpful to gently explore in a safe setting. And possibly like low mood feelings, sometimes they can be deep rooted And they might have been initially experienced in a setting that's completely unrelated to food, but then food has become all tied up in the bigger picture. And there may be more about going on, really, in terms of how you feel deep down about yourself inside. Maybe this is something about your self-worth and just not feeling good enough. And I know for myself, definitely, when I struggled with an eating disorder, the root of it all was, you know, feeling really not good enough. And it was about the food, but it wasn't about the food at the same time. So dare to look a bit deeper to see what might be beneath the eating issues. How is your work or your study at the moment? How are your relationships? What's your level of self-care like? And do you have some purpose and meaning in and woven into the structure of daily life? And if not, maybe it's time to gently explore some of these issues more And maybe again, you know, if you have experienced some kind of trauma or abuse and you have never been able to process that, to explore it, to talk about it in a safe setting, it's going to be affecting your mood in the present. It's very, very likely to. So again, it might be the time as and when you feel ready to seek out some support through counselling. So I hope this podcast has given you some insights in how to kind of have a different relationship with your binge eating really, to understand it a bit better and to think about what might be triggering it. So I would really say to you, as I always do, be kind and compassionate with yourself in this process of trying to understand things because often it can feel like a big complicated knot and you're trying to untangle it one bit at a time. So in summary, number one, in terms of how to understand your binge eating, how to stop it, how to intervene. Number one is stopping the dietary restraint. Dietary restraint will inevitably lead to binge eating. So focus on eating in a way that promotes stable body physiology. Regular eating, all the unsexy work that I talk about, eating all the food groups, and as and when you feel ready, slowly reintroducing your forbidden foods and just doing it one food at a time. Number two, you are slogging away at life too much. You're not getting enough rest or self-soothing and food has become your shortcut and escape to life. So you need to experiment with different ways of self-soothing and to think about the five senses. And it doesn't matter if you've never been good at self-soothing or you've never done this before, you can learn as an adult. It's perfectly possible, just baby steps. Number three, start to become more aware of your thoughts and emotions and emotions. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? Can you begin to manage your emotions a bit differently? And how can you be kinder to yourself with your thoughts? And to even begin this process, the first thing that needs to happen is that we need to increase our self-awareness. And that can be achieved through the food and feelings diary or a well-being diary, starting to become more self-aware. So we start to have more of a bird's eye view down onto what's going on in our life, and then we can start to be curious and compassionate and to look at things a bit differently. Number four, develop awareness of how much attention you are paying to your body aesthetics, because if you're preoccupied with body image and your body is your primary means of deriving worth and self-esteem, you're going to struggle, and it's so hard to win. You know, trying to achieve a perfect body, it's a goal that is impossible to win at. The goalposts are always moving. There's always going to be someone else around you who is kind of filling that spot. Just impossible to win at. It's not a good way to try and derive worth. There are many other ways to feel better about yourself without focusing so much on your body. And number five, you're experiencing low mood, and low self-worth. You don't care. You feel you don't know what the point of everything is. And Again, as we've just talked about, this is perhaps when you might need to have some therapy just really to think about what's going on underneath. Are there emotions or thoughts or things that you are avoiding that you don't want to face? And I think there's a lot to be said about the right timing for wanting to open up some of these things. Sometimes it's not the right time, but you might want to just have a ponder about these things because of low mood, low self-worth. It doesn't just come from nowhere. So it can be useful as and when you feel ready to explore that a bit more and then again it can help you start to tackle your binge eating because of binge eating is so often a way to escape, avoid numb, difficult feelings. But actually if we can start to be more in touch with how we're really feeling in our authentic self, authentic self, that is a big stepping stone towards healing. So I hope you enjoyed this episode today and if you're not following me already do seek me out on instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore for further support with your relationship with food do go to the eating disorder if you enjoy this podcast I'd be so grateful if you could follow rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.